Amen. Well, I learned from the first service, and I had the breath to do that last praise. No hitches this service at all. I was listening to Paul Noble Gretzky, and I was thinking that um, just maybe he and I could do like a Rick Buble kind of thing. Would you? Uh, would there be a market for that? Do you think? I'm not. I'm not getting a lot of. Uh, not getting a lot of warm feeling up here about that kind of thing. Well, God has been up to some great and mighty things. He's at work among us, and we are excited. I wish I could have you all at, at our staff meetings on Tuesday where we pray, pray for you, pray for the church, pray for the ministry, what God is doing, and share with each other what God is doing among us. And uh, we're excited about that. Uh, a man came to know Christ this week, and we're excited about that And um, as well. Um, our men are away at a conference this weekend, and I'm getting good reports that it's a, it's a great weekend with uh, former Philadelphia Flyer Bob Froze speaking. It, it's hard for me to imagine that somebody from the old Broad Street Bullies could bring anything of redeeming value to anybody, but, but here we have a man of God, Bob Froze, I have to give it to him, a former Philadelphia Flyer who is serving the Lord with all of his heart and uh, is bringing a great, great mis- ministry to our guys, and um, that's where some of them are this morning. And uh, also, uh, those of you who are hockey fans, you ought to be praying for your, our brother Paul Henderson as well, who's not well and has taken a turn for the worse. He's been battling cancer for a couple of years, and, and so pray for Paul. He's a great spokesman for the things of God, loves the Lord with all of his heart, has a great platform still to speak for, for Christ, and... Um, Pray that God will still use him and, and continue to use him in uh, these difficult days. And then, and then God has just done amazing things throughout this week in the campus. Who Jesus is was presented at that campus this week. And that ought to excite us. <laughs> Been working you here this morning, working you here, but I'm not getting a lot. I'm not getting a lot. You're, come on, come with me. Let's go, come on. Well, listen, we better pray and ask the Lord to, to bless our time together. In the word. Father, um, thank you so much that you are a great, energetic, and amazing God. You are at work. You're the living God. Uh, you are the God of, uh, of, of Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham. You are not the God of the dead. You are the God of the living. And you are at work. And Father, we thank you that you have called us to be about your business, to serve you with all of our hearts. And uh, so, Father, we consider it an amazing privilege to be uh, instruments of yours, to be uh, tools in the Master's hand. And, Father, we pray that uh, many things will be accomplished in your great name, for your great name's sake, in our own lives personally, and as, those li- as our lives um, influence and impact other people around us. Father, I ask this morning, as you grant us this amazing backstage pass to prayer, that you would... Uh, that you would give us uh, a fresh enthusiasm uh, about our interaction with you and, and the, power, uh, the power center that, that truly resides in the God of, of glory. And so I pray, Father, that um, for those who may be discouraged and down and in despair, that uh, today may be a, a time of lifting up and building up the body of Christ through the, through the word of Christ, I pray in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. One of the great mysteries of life, I think, is prayer. I don't know how much you've thought about it, but think about this. In prayer, we sort of close our eyes and think thoughts and that we want to go to heaven and we really believe and count on them going there, right? 
Isn't that true? Or we pray out loud or any number of things. But, but I, think, I think the uh, whole amazing thing of prayer is just to close your eyes and think thoughts that you want God to know about and, and to really count on Him knowing about it. And um, I think that's why there's such a great mystery as to how does God interact with our prayer? How does He hear it? When does He hear it? What does He do about it? Uh, how does He answer? Why are there delays? What's, what happens in the whole concept of the whole reality of prayer? And, and, you know, you wonder sometimes if God were interviewed, say, by a 60 Minutes documentary crew, what, what would he reveal about prayer that, that we don't may, maybe necessarily know? Or, or if there was some news preparing a documentary um, to build a case for prayer, how would God build that case? One thing is certain. As a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a Christian, as a believer, uh, we have to significantly engage in prayer and believe that it matters and believe that it is, is strategic in our lives. That we believe that we get through to God is, is pretty important in our lives. Don't you agree? So this morning, I think Daniel chapter 10 is one of those rare situations in the scriptures where God actually opens up for us a view into the unseen. Things that we would not necessarily know because they're not visible to our own eyes. And, and I, want to, I want to sort of dedicate or, 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 or offer the sermon this morning to some of you who may find yourselves in your life in a real situation of desperation and despair and challenge and pain. And, and you've perhaps been pouring out your heart to the Lord over and over again and, and, and counting on the Lord to, to make a difference in your life or in your situation. And it's to you that I really want to throw out this teaching this morning from Daniel 10. And I trust that it will encourage you. When you find yourself at the epicenter of a very dirty and difficult conflict in your life, what then? And sometimes, and I'm sure most of you will resonate with me, because this is the case for most of God's people down through the ages, sometimes the circumstances become so desperate that, that we despair at survival at all. That we wonder if we're actually going to make it or if we can make it. And I, and I have to think that Daniel had reached that state in his life in Daniel chapter 10. It was the third year into the reign of another empire. He had been through the <clears throat> exile time with Babylon. And now he finds himself in the third year of, of the next reign, of the Persian reign. <clears throat> and, and by now he's about 85 years of age. And, and uh, history tells us that, that uh, by the third year of, of, of Darius or Cyrus, that there was some of the exiles had already been invited and, and, and permitted to go back to, to Jerusalem and to start to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. And, and so this had already started to take place. And Daniel, I think, is thinking, you know, my, my time clock is running out. Like, I'm 85 years of age or so, and, and, and I, I want to go home I want to get back. I want to just go back to the place where, where, I, where I know it was the place where I, I first met God. And I, and, and I just want to go back there. And for whatever reason, and we're going to find out, I think, a little bit, God is not permitting him to go back there. And, and when you look at the first couple of verses of the text, you realize that, that even his name, his exile name, Belteshazzar, is used in the text. Just kind of as a reminder that, Daniel, you are still in exile. 
I, I think he, he, had come, he, had, he had been processing the prayer several years ago from Daniel chapter 9 and the answers that he got there about this grand vision of what God was going to do, how he was going to bring a Messiah and he was going to bring an everlasting righteousness and, and he was going to deal with sin forever. And, and, and Daniel was wondering, when is that going to happen? And, and in light of the, the reports that he was hearing, because if you, if you read in Ezra chapter 4, you'll find out that although the building began... There were some nasty opposition types who, who started to come along and, and prevent the uh, building process going forward. And, and so he's lifting up his heart to the Lord and saying, why are you allowing these, these people to gather around themselves, lawyers, to, to come and, and question the, the setbacks of the, of the property lines and all that stuff, and they're, they're going to take this thing to the OMB, and they're going to run it through the courts, and it's going to take forever. And Lord, will Israel even last as a, as, as a world power, as, an oppor- as, as a nation that you've ro- raised up to, to proclaim your greatness in the world? Is it ever going to even last? And, and more importantly, is, is the temple, are you going to let, stand by and let the temple not be built? And, and, and when, if the temple isn't built and and, and worship doesn't get picked up again. What about Messiah? All of this was going on in his heart, I think. But interestingly, you know, as we think about this from retrospectively, the fact that there was opposition to the building program going on back in Israel, it stands to reason that in God's wisdom and providence, it would make a lot of sense to leave Daniel, who was very influential with the high courts of Persia, who, who knew people at the very top, who, who would be a pretty important advocate to have on the ground in Persia, in the, in, in the, in the reign of Persia, protecting the people who were returning to Israel, wanting to build back the systems of worship. Nevertheless, as we look at the text here, we realize that Daniel is very distressed. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. By the way, that phrase there can be translated as well, or, and was a very burdensome or heavy announcement. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. This morning I want to um, draw some lessons out of this text for you that I hope will be very helpful. And the first that I want to point out before we go any further into the text is this. And, And you probably have already learned this in your life, but there is a great cost to commitment to God. To being the one who receives and delivers and lives out the word of God. Going to war with wickedness is usually very painful and brutal. And it's no different in this particular description of the life of Daniel. You know, if if your journey this morning seems particularly hard, you've picked up a, a few books at the Christian bookstore on health, wealth, gospel, and you're wondering when it was going to happen for you. Well, you're in good company because, in fact, um, we know that as we've studied the text that sin causes trouble and ruins your life, but serving God causes trouble too. 
causes big trouble. Now, I, I don't want to recommend the alternative, by the way, this morning. You know I highly endorse the serving of the Lord with all of your heart. In fact, we know in the scriptures that Jesus tells us that in serving him, he supersizes our life. He grants us life that is more abundant. But in that abundant life, it is filled with trouble and challenge and pain and, and desperation and, 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 and questions. Lord, why? What, what's happening? Why is this persisting so long? And, and so when we look into the diary of Daniel for a few moments this morning in this particular chapter, we get a number of descriptions of his life that are not exactly enviable, of his emotional makeup, of how he was feeling. You can look more deeply later on, but, but let me just give you a sweeping look at the diary from, from Daniel chapter 10 and some of the descriptions of Daniel and, and how he was feeling. In, in verse 1, that, that word, as I said, is, is burdensome or weighed down Because the vision was talking about more war against God's mission. Daniel, if you think things are rough now, there's still coming more difficult stuff. In in verse 2, it says that, that at that time, I, Daniel, mourned. And the word here for mourning is, is the kind of, it's like lamenting for a death in your family. This isn't some sort of uh, simple passing, uh, uh, feeling bad situation, uh, 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 a few moments of crying. This is a, a lamenting as if you've lost someone in your family who you dearly love. By the way, it says in that same verse that he fasted for three weeks. And it says here that he, that, that he used no lotions. Now, now, I can tell you that when, I, when I'm really down in, in despair, um, my first reaction is not to not lotion myself up. That's not, but, but I guess back then, I guess back in those days that, that that lotioning really mattered. And in fact, the word is really anointing, and it's anointing for celebration purposes. And we find out in the text that, that this was the month of Nisan. Is that month familiar to you at all, Nisan? Nisan is the month of Passover, this was supposed to be a celebration time. While everybody else is celebrating Passover, celebrating the fact that, that, that the living God had rescued them out of the hands of Egypt and out of slavery and, and given them freedom. Well, now they're in exile, but they're still celebrating this Passover. And now they're being invited to go back to, to, Jeru- to Jerusalem. And they're, they're enthusiastic. And everybody else is celebrating. Daniel's not. He's lamenting like there was a death in his family. No sign of rejoicing in his life. In verse 8, we see descriptions like no strength left. He was alone. He was deathly pale and helpless. In, in verse 10, it talks about trembling hands and he's on his hands and knees trembling. In verse 15, it says his face is to the ground. He's speechless. In verse 16, he's overcome with anguish. In verse 17, he can hardly breathe. Some of you know this personally. You've been here. You maybe have been here not too long ago, or maybe you're here right now. The heaviness in your life 
The circumstance, the news you just found out, the, the struggle that you have been going through over the last couple of months is, is wearing you out. You have very little strength left. You've been down on your hands and knees praying and crying and calling out to God. You can hardly breathe. This is not limited to Daniel alone. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, in the second letter to the Corinthians, begins to tell them this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Have you been there before? God, I'm not even sure I can live. This is not the letter of some man who didn't have a relationship very strong, strong with God. This is one of the great saints of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead and those of us who feel like we're dying and breathes new life into us. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us, listen, by your prayers. What does my prayer matter? What does your prayer matter for me? The Apostle Paul says it, it, it matters everything. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. If there's one thing we're going to learn out of Daniel chapter 10 and for, and, and, and for that matter throughout the whole of scripture is that although prayer is a mystery to us in so many ways, it really, really matters. In fact, when you're really in despair and at the epicenter of a very dirty conflict that's going on in your life, the scriptural action of choice is urgent prayer. And, and in some way, as Daniel here hears this news and his heart is troubled, he says, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. I just fasted and prayed. God entrusts his richest and best stuff to those, to the most willing and obedient hearts. Daniel declares in his life, it's time for a 21-day bear down, a 21-day spiritual bear down. The news is so troubling, so burdensome, I have to, I have to set apart my life for the next number of days, and he did for three weeks. He just set himself apart and just prayed and called out and fasted.
You know, when we ask the question, what kind of heart grabs the attention of God? It seems to me this is the kind of heart. The disciples one day asked Jesus, Lord, would you please teach us how to pray? And out of that, we have received what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is really would be better named the Disciples' Prayer. It's a prayer of the follower of Jesus. And you all know that prayer. The thing is, though, we, we haven't paid attention to everything Jesus said when the disciples asked him about that. In Luke chapter 11, uh, where that question was, was raised and where Jesus answered it, we were familiar with, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We, we know that part of it, right? And that's what we think it is. That's what we think. That's the prayer we think grabs God's attention. But, but, God, but Christ continued teaching. He didn't stop there. In verse 5 of Luke chapter 11, as he concludes that prayer that we know, he keeps going this way. He says, then he said to them, suppose one of you is a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. And I'll have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness or persistence or prevailing, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Jesus is, they asked, they asked him, how, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And, and Jesus teaches them how to prevail in prayer. He teaches them how to persist in prayer. He teaches them how to be urgent about prayer. He says prayer that grabs the ear of God, guys, is prayer that comes from your heart and you're passionate about and you call out to the Lord over and over again. Daniel demonstrates this to us. As John Calvin wrote in his Institutes, a true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. That's how you get to know God. And prayer is not a suggestion in the Scriptures. It's a command in the Scriptures. Pray without ceasing. In everything, by prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. It, it's, a, it's a call out on will you or will you not be obedient to the Lord? Do you want to have a relationship with me, God says, or do you not? As the Apostle Paul wrote, the reason God allowed so much pressure and strain to be in our lives is so that we would learn to not default to self-reliance. So that we would learn that we have to be people of, of dependence upon God. Why are the hardships in your life? Because without them, you become reliant on yourself. And when they are allowed to be in your life, you call out to the living God because you realize that this life and the conflict and the opposition and the pressures and the things that are, that are lined up against you are more than a match for your own strength. And you can't do anything but fall on your knees and call out to God, Oh God, be merciful to me. Help me. And in that time, we connect with God 
in relationship. See, the scriptural action of choice is urgent prayer because that's how you dial into divine frequency. That's how knowing God happens. Look what happened as Daniel urgently came before God. In verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Daniel, in the heels of his urgent prayer, encounters a pre-incarnate, I think, appearance of the living Christ. He meets Jesus. How, how important is it to pray? How, how, how much does it matter that we urgently fall on our knees and, and call out to the living God and, and, and prevail on heaven? God shows up. Now, um, the reason I say that is because it's, the description here strikes me as very similar to what was described in Revelation chapter 1 when John the Apostle had a vision of Jesus Christ. Some interpreters suggest this is an angel. I think angels do appear here, but I don't think that this is an angel. I think this is Christ himself. See, the language of God is prayer. Because prayer is the opposite of self-reliance. It puts us in an attitude of dependence. And when we're in an attitude of dependence, it puts us in a position emotionally, to be willing to obey. And from what I understand about the scriptures, obedience seems to be the password to an audience with God. So Daniel here, obviously on some sort of business trip, because he's by the Tigris River, normally he would have been in Babylon by the Euphrates, He's sent out on some business trip and there he is on the, the river bank of the great river, the Tigris, and he has, a, he has an encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ because he prays and he fasts. It seems to me as we read on that um, I, Daniel, verse 7, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. That reminds me of of the encounter that, that the Apostle Paul, who, before he was the Apostle Paul, when he was called Saul, on the road to Damascus met the living Christ himself in Acts chapter 9. And those who were with him, while they didn't see what he saw, they were terrified and and fell on the ground as well. How important is it to pray? To call out to the Lord with urgency? You dial into divine frequency, but, but by the way, what I notice here as well is that this is the action that's required to proceed divine help. In verse 12, it says, Then I continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. By the way, uh, 
don't want to skip verse 10 and 11 because I think that we have a character change here. A hand touched me. Remember, Daniel had fallen asleep, his face to the ground. Now a hand touches him and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I've now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. Prayer is is the action that precedes divine help. The, the, The message that comes to Daniel is, Daniel, when you started praying 21 days ago, your words were heard in heaven. You grabbed hold of God's ear. Since you set your mind to gain understanding, Daniel, since you had humbled yourself before your God. Isn't that what Ezra the chronicler wrote in in Chronicles when he said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and heal their land and forgive them of their sins. Daniel, ever since you started to pray, I, I, I heard your word. Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. I've come to explain. In other words, um, I have been sent. God dispatched me. Daniel, we're going to find out in the text that, that uh, it was the same angel that he encountered back in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel, when you started to pray, God dispatched me to deal with your matter. Deal with your issues. Your words have been heard. Well, what was Daniel's prayer? What prompted it? What precipitated it? Well, we've talked about that a little bit already. He was trying to make sense of, uh, of what was already going on and very distressing revelation about wars that were still yet to come and, and all of the burdens were yet to be heaped upon God's people. He, he, was, he was doing what you and I would have been doing, what you and I do regularly when we get this bad news. We're like, Lord, why? Why is this happening? I, I, I don't understand. We have, we, have, we have turned from our sinfulness. You've released some of us. You've sent some of us back from exile. We're, we're busy trying to do the things of God. We're, we're busy trying to work, and they're causing us frustrations at the other end. They're shutting things down. We want to have a live stream back in Babylon, but we can't, we can't watch what's going on. Lord, why are you stopping all this stuff? And he's calling out to him. He's saying, you gave me a vision of the fact that you were going to deal with sin. You were going to bring in everlasting righteousness. You were, you were going to bring Messiah. Lord, what's happening? I don't understand why, why such great opposition is occurring. I feel as if my words aren't getting through to you. You're not responding to me. What's happening, Lord, to us? God, please help me. Strengthen me. Enable me to live another day, God. It seems to me that in those moments, prayer is so, so urgent because it is the action required to win the conflict that's going on behind the scenes in the heavenlies. Do you realize that that all that you see is not all that there is? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, the scriptures teach us, but against principalities and powers in high places. I mean, here we get the window of the unseen. The blind is pulled up and we get to look through. 
And look what we see. Daniel, in, in verse 12, Daniel, I, I came to you, and, 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 and as soon as your words were, 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 were uttered, uh, you were being heard by God, and, and I was dispatched in response to them. Verse 13, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Now, let, let me just pause here for a second. The prince of the Persian kingdom, who's that? Some guy? Was some guy resisting the living God? Is some guy resisting this angel messenger? Then Michael, you heard of him? Michael the archangel? Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. He talks later on about soon I have to return in verse 20 to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece is going to show up. What it looks like to me is what Paul described in Ephesians 6.12 about principalities and powers in high places. Not flesh and blood, but spirit. Demonic. Behind all of this perplexing opposition, Daniel, is the prince of the Persian kingdom. The hierarchy of Satan's Satan's um, army. Apparently, this demonic champion was over that nation. And there was soon going to come the demonic power that was over the nation of Greece. Causing havoc. Driving the wickedness that was perplexing to God's people. They're asking, why are we so opposed? Why are we in exile? Why are so many horrible things happening to us? Why was I thrown into a lion's den? Why in the world are all this horrible stuff happening? Daniel, I want to talk to you about the unseen. And this unseen power is able to resist the purposes and plans and things of God. And is even able to detain the answer that God is bringing. For 21 days, Daniel, I've been fighting with the prince of the Persian kingdom. Now, um, it was on the basis of prayer that the angel Gabriel and Michael were dispatched to break down this power blockade. How important is prayer? How important is 21 days of prayer in this particular situation? For 21 days, the battle raged. They've come to deal with the wicked issues, the very thing that Daniel was praying about. So, what's here for us to learn that is almost always unseen to us? Well, the New Testament urges us to understand that, for the most part, our fight is not with flesh and blood. The opposition that we face from institutions that oppose the things of God is not about people and humans. It's about the forces of evil that influence people. What is it that's working in opposition to the things of God in your life? It looks like people. 
But behind people is the satanic warfare of God, or of Satan. The satanic warfare against God. Now, let me draw a couple of conclusions here for us this morning out of what I see here. The first is this. Human conflict is earthly fallout of cosmic warfare. What Daniel got to see here is that God is at war against evil. And that evil is, against, is at war against God. That, that's, what he, that's what he got to see. Behind the, the, behind the state of Persia, Daniel, in case you don't know, are a demonic horde. Under the control of one prince, demon. The story of God is love for people and war with wickedness. In fact, in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, and a lot of people have trouble understanding this about God, the God of the Old Testament. The the nature of the Old Testament is a story of God at war with wickedness. That's what it's about. And, and, And when God's people are obedient, God uses his people as instruments of his judgment on wickedness. Whereby he calls from the world, pairs down through warfare, physical warfare, the massive increase of wickedness in order to bring in his plan and purpose of redemption and Messiah. That's the story of the Old Testament. And when when God's people are disobedient in the Old Testament, he uses the wickedness of the nations around To discipline his people. That's what happens in the Old Testament. That's how it works. That's how it functions. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 9. Is God giving Daniel reason to believe that repentance matters? That God is in charge and in control and that God will fight for his people? When the New Testament comes along, people often say, well... God seems to change in the New Testament. He's doing battle with, with, with wicked people in the Old Testament, but when he gets to the New Testament, he doesn't seem to be doing the same thing anymore. In fact, John the Baptist was perplexed about Jesus for that very, very reason. In, in Matthew chapter 3, uh, John is, is, is preaching his little heart out, and he's, he's talking about, you know, I have come to baptize you in water, but... But after me is coming one who's going to baptize you in water and in fire. He says, in fact, he's got his winnowing fork out already. I can just see it now. He's, he's taking this group and he's pitching them over this way. And he's taking this group and he's pitching them into a fiery, fiery fire. That's what he was looking for. Jesus, the warrior God, Messiah, is going to come and, and rip Rome apart. That's why when John the Baptist ended up in prison at the hands of Herod, he asked his disciples to go back with a message. He said, would you please go and ask Jesus if he's the one that was supposed to come, if he's the Messiah? Because this ain't looking like what I was thinking. I mean, he's out there preaching peace and love and, 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 and brotherhood and love one another and love your enemies, do good to those who despitefully use you. Like, this is not what I was thinking was going to happen. And Jesus sends back a message. What does he say? Tell John that the blind receive their sight, that the deaf can hear, that the lame can walk, 
that the demons are being cast out. In fact, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. In the New Testament, Jesus declares war on evil's champion. Takes on Satan himself. That's what the New Testament is about. At the cross, Christ himself defeated the champion of the evil enemy forces. The ironic thing about all of this, as Tremper Longman rightly points out, Jesus wins the battle not by killing, but by dying. And the victory parade has happened. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 7 and 8, he says, like, ah, we've already seen the victory parade. Jesus is, is leading captivity captive and giving gifts to men, giving gifts to the church. We're on the victory side, Paul says. But in the same chapter, he says, but be on your guard. Put on the full armor of God. Although he is defeated, he is still wreaking havoc in our lives. Now, I learned this as well. Not only is God at war with evil, but angels and humans are at war with wickedness together. You maybe haven't thought about this very much. This text kind of turns us here. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their sins, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. And he says, and I will heal their land. I think that's what's happening here. This battle. This battle that, uh, that Daniel is praying about. He's praying, Lord, God, why are, why are your plans being thwarted or appear to be thwarted? And, and there's this, this satanic evil blockade that is preventing the things of God going forward. Maybe the healing of the land is, is a, a, clean, a clean house of all those demons that are, that are forcing this blockade upon the, the purposes that I want to accomplish. My city will be rebuilt. My country will be rebuilt. My temple will be rebuilt. But there's a battle to win of those who oppose. And it seems to me, and I've tried to word this that in a way that makes sense to me and preserves the sovereignty of God and that he doesn't need us and all this, but he chooses to use us. And so I'll throw it up for your consideration. God responds to the persistent prayer of his people to send angels to win the cosmic skirmish in the way and in opposition to victory in the earthly setting. That's what I think is happening here. That's what I think is the theology of this text. That's what I think carries on to the theology of the New Testament community. Why we are urged to pray, because there is this joint relationship that I can't explain. It's not necessary to explain. God has given it to us as a picture and told us, pray, pray on all occasions. Pray without ceasing. Pray because you put on the full armor of God and pray. Five times in that text, pray, pray, pray. Because you are facing principalities and powers in high places that are more than a match for you. But by the way, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The little g God. And so God dispatches, it seems here, angels... To grant you what you are praying for that is in the purpose and will of God. 
Now I have come to explain, verse 14. I've come to explain to you. you. You asked for an explanation. I've come to explain, to tell you what is written in the book of truth, verse 21. I love this. It seems to me that, that God is revealing to us here. He has a book of truth. It's God's playbook for human history that he intends and how he shapes human history. And it really in, 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 is an Old Testament statement, I think, of, of Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purposes in Christ Jesus. This book of truth, Daniel, is, by the way, predicated on truth. Unlike the enemy and opposer of things who predicates all of his things on lies. Daniel, that's not your God. Your God builds the case for human history and how he shapes human history on the book of truth. You can count on all things working for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. I see here that demonic angels are active in conflict with God's purposes and occupy some sort of geographical, political uh, connection. I don't know how to put all of that together. But we all know that for the most part, through all of human history, God's people have been persecuted and beat down and and harmed and, and, and slashed and killed and oppressed and persecuted. And in some way, there is some power hold, some geopolitical hold that demonic forces have over nations that vary with greater strongholds from nation to nation that I think is, is based fundamentally on, on whether or not God restrains or, or clears away the blockade that is based upon our, our, our faithfulness to God as a nation. When people rebel against God, when a nation rebels against God, he withdraws his restraint and allows these evil, harmful forces to wreak havoc on a nation. That's what is writing the news every day. But I want you finally to notice this. Daniel does not take on the demonic, nor does he pray to angels. He prays to the commander-in-chief who deploys his angels against the minions of evil. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. It seems that the writer to Hebrews makes this point. The sun rules, S-O-N, and angels serve the protection from the unseen by the unseen. So how do we wrap all of this up? The cosmos is at war, but we are far from alone. God fights for us with a crowd of angel warriors. The advanced champion has already won. Christ himself has defeated Satan. Victory now is for those who are children of the champion, armed and victorious. But make no mistake about it. The battle continues to rage. And only as we grab hold of the throne room of God in prayer can we count on experiencing the power of God for victory. That's the message. Our Father and our God, as we close down this morning um, and the teaching time, Lord, I thank you so much for this window of uh, into the unseen. Lord, I pray that it will give courage to God's people, that we realize that that the punchline here is God will rescue. God is in charge. God is in control. Oh, Father, I thank you. And I pray that it will will, um, strengthen our hearts to know that our God helps us and fights for us and that there are great powers in the cosmos on our behalf as we urgently call out to the Lord who hears us, always hears us, and responds. 
Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it true that our frustrations, for the most part, are about the time delay in the answer to prayer? Oh, God, why are you not answering me? Or, or the answer comes in a different way than we were really praying or hoping. I mean, as you think about it, what if Daniel had have stopped praying in day 15? That prayer battle was a 21-day prayer battle. He kept praying and praying and praying. You know, for most of us, there's been many frustrations just in terms of ministry and ministry to that campus over the last month or couple of months. You know, we've been wondering, why are things going the way they are? One of the biggest frustrations was we wanted a streaming. We wanted to gather together in churches and see it live and, and be a big part of it and invite our friends and, and all of that. And we went, why, Lord, did you not permit that? I had a pastor who contacted me and said, look, we've changed our whole order of service this week. Instead of prayer meeting Wednesday night, we're going to have it Thursday night. We're going to have that streaming thing. And now I don't know. It's kind of all thrown off. And, And he contacted me back and he said, listen, that Thursday night thing we ended up going ahead with anyway. And he said, we had the best prayer time in our church we have had in years. So we wanted streaming. We wanted to watch the debate live. God wanted us to pray and fast. That's what he wanted. That's how God has permission to move our lives with flex. But listen, it's God who gets glory. God is fighting for us. In our prayers, in in, in our calling on the Lord, he's listening to us and he's hearing us right from the very first second we pray. There's a battle going on. Don't kid yourself. A huge, powerful battle for the things of God, for the hearts and souls of people. We're in the thick of it. But the upshot of this text is God is, is the rescuer. God is in charge. God is in control. Nothing can thwart his purposes. We're on the winning team. Christ has defeated Satan. The skirmish is on, but victory is sure. So pray, 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 because God responds to your prayer. And he'll pick you up like he picked up Daniel. He'll stand you on your feet, and he'll talk to you and explain to you the way things are, and he'll encourage you and press you on for the battle that sets before you in his name and for his glory. Our Father, we offer ourselves to you with thanksgiving. We thank you that you are a great God. We love you. And we know you love us, and we recognize there is a great battle going on. We thank you, Father, for the victory through Christ that we have. Now, Lord, may we have confidence in prayer to pray without ceasing, to call in the name of the Lord with urgent prayer. It is the language of God. It is what's required to to access the divine throne room and to know that action is coming our way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.